Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 66 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Draftneck Mark, here with James Schiano. Jeter had no range, talking about the New York Mets. Uh, there's not a whole lot in actual news to talk about here. There's more of a content episode. We're going to have a little fun today. We're going to go over some quick manager stuff. Little Buck Show, Walter Espada. What's his name? Quattraro? I don't... Quattraro. Quattraro. We're going to talk about him a little bit. A nice Italian name, a nice Paisan. Talk a little bit about the Rule 5 minor league draft that happened because that was a thing. And we are, again, really trying to get some content out there. And then we're going to end it with a really fun little segment that we're going to do. You've seen people do all-time you know, team drafts, and maybe we'll do that later. But right now, we're going to do the most Mets draft. We're drafting guys that are going to be the most Mets players of all time. Doesn't mean good. Just the most mess. You could take it for what it means. That's what we're doing on today's episode here on Messed Up Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Messed Up. YouTube channel, Messed Up Podcast. You'll be able to find us there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Drop us a five-star rating. Drop us a review. I need to see some reviews out there. Drop us one if you have not yet done that. That's pretty much it for the intro there. James, what's up? How you doing? I'm good, man. You know, same old. Just waiting for this... uh baseball uh, content machine to churn a little bit because we've got nothing yeah no the lockout sucks and i did see a lot of people were happy that we explained you know what was going on with the lockout in the last episode that we gave them some knowledge so i was happy we could drop that on you guys but unfortunately there's really nothing that has happened in terms of the lockout negotiations whatsoever the only thing that's happened is that the owners are working on freezing out the players right now after that last um deal that they didn't even that the fake deal they offered last week that we broke down a little bit they basically made it clear they were going to take a week or two off, and now we're at the far end of those two weeks. So they're just kind of playing hard to get right now. That's literally the only lockout update that anybody has. Nope. And in terms of Mets baseball, we, we have an update. We have finalists for the manager because, of course, we still don't have one. And there is no rush, but we have our three finalists. Is there is there a fourth guy? They mentioned a mystery fourth guy or something? I thought the mystery guy was someone in the first round, but I'm pretty positive that the final three are Buck Walter. Joe Espada, and Matt Quattraro. Yeah, and we talked extensively about Buck Showalter and Joe Espada in the last episode. Not going to go over it too much again. You guys probably know what our stance on it is as of now on the Mess Up Podcast. We're Joe Espada, or at least anti-Buck. We're mm-hmm. going to talk a little bit about Matt Quattraro. I still don't know how to say his name. That's going to be... I think it's Quattraro. That feels right, Quattraro. Yeah, it's going to be. that's going to be the hardest thing if he becomes the manager, is trying to figure out how to say this guy's name. But, uh... You're going to give us some info on him, as you always do. Of course, yeah. We did, like Mark said, talk extensively about Buck and Espada last week. And I feel like we should give Cachuaro his due because he's a baseball lifer and he's very well respected in the game. And he's, again, one of these three finalists. So he is a New Yorker, born upstate, and he grew up Italian. So those are two big check marks for at least Mark and I and the Mets in general. Also a history major in college, which is a big check mark for me. So a, <laughs> a brother in arms there. 
And he plays college ball, went to school at Old Dominion down in Virginia. And he was a hell of a player down there. First baseman catcher, hit 400 over the course of his collegiate career. An academic All-American and an overall second team All-American as a senior, which out of Old Dominion is kind of insane. Yeah, no, it seemed like he could play ball a little bit for sure. And that ended up getting him drafted by the team that he's currently with, the Tampa Bay Rays. Absolutely. And ironically, he was taken in the 1996 draft, the exact same draft that Joe Espada was taken by Sandy Alderson and the Oakland A's. So these guys are kind of on super congruent paths. And that 96 draft, coincidentally, was just one year after Buck Showalter was fired from his first job, his first manager job. So these two guys were greenhorns in the minor leagues, and Buck Showalter had already been fired by the Yankees. <laughs> I actually found out this tidbit last week. I was deep in the weeds doing some Buck Showalter research because I was just like, I really don't want this guy to be manager. I found something crazy that he said in 1994. Maybe I'll save for a later episode. I'll tease that maybe for my own tweet of mine. But Buck Showalter, after he performed pretty well over the 1994-1995 seasons with the Yankees, thought he was negotiating with George Steinbrenner. But most people would know, especially by this time, you don't really negotiate with George Steinbrenner. I'm pretty sure four years consecutively as a manager, as Buck Showalter was, was one of the longest tenured managers Steinbrenner had ever overseen, which in itself was pretty hilarious. But successful 94-95, Yankees were winning a lot of games. It looked like they were going to make a run to a World Series soon. As we know, in hindsight, they did. Buck Showalter declined George Steinbrenner's first offer because he wanted more years in his contract. And George Steinbrenner said, fuck him. <laughs> See you later, Buck. During the World Series. <laughs> that's, that's a ballsy move right there. That's some George. That's classic George Steinbrenner. Classic George Steinbrenner. But again, back to Matt Cotuaro. He hung around the Rays system until 2003. got picked up by the Yankees for a quick uh, spring training stint, but then he wound up retiring after that season. Immediately went back as a head coach, and the Rays reached back out to him, brought him back into their organization as a, originally a catching instructor and then a minor league hitting coach. And then after a couple of years, he was the head coach of the New York Penn League Hudson Valley Renegades from 2006-2007. That's a short A team at the time. That league no longer exists. That's where the Brooklyn Cyclones used to play, a team that we know and love. And in those two years with the Renegades, he actually managed Evan Longoria, Jeremy Hellickson, Stephen Vogt, Alex Cobb, my guy, and Josh Hamilton, which is a pretty funny uh Pretty funny uh, tidbit right there. And then after a few seasons with the Renegades, he was bumped up to a full season manager in the Sally League from 2008 to 2009. And after two successful seasons down there, he was promoted to the Rays minor league hitting coordinator in 2010 and held that job to 2013. And that's kind of meaningful because that is when the Rays started to modernize the minor league system and the way they were developing players. So he was probably at the forefront of a lot of those um, actions, decisions, things like that. Eventually, he was hired away by Cleveland in 2014 to be their assistant hitting coach. Held that job for three years. The Rays yanked him back in 2017 when they had some more openings on their staff. And then he was a third base coach for a year and then promoted to bench coach after 2018 when uh, the Blue Jays hired Charlie Montoyo, who was then the Rays bench coach. And Quattraro's had that job ever since. So this guy's a grinder. The Rays absolutely love him and he's just a baseball lifer seems like a very good pick for this job i think it's an interesting uh, little callback too he was with cleveland for a couple years lindor was also in cleveland during that time too so there's that's a true. little you know a little link between the two as well i think that's the year lindor came up 2014 or 13. i believe so yeah i believe so um but really unf- I, I don't want to say unfortunately but kind of unfortunately doesn't really matter because it seems like Buck Showalter is just the odds-on favorite by and large. Pretty obvious that he is the guy right now. He'd probably have to screw something up massively in the interview or just ask for too much money, which I think is definitely a possibility. Buck Showalter walk in wagging his finger about experience and Steve Cohen's like, you you need me way more than I need you right now because I'm, yes. I'm, your, I'm your only savior. But I am like a little bit softening on Buck from last week to this one just because he got through an alleged five-hour interview, so one that shows a lot of stamina for the old man. I like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> he, he can manage the modern baseball because no games go that long anymore. And two, like he can't be that anti-analytics if he got to the next round of this interview, you know? Yeah. Like, well, the Mets are pouring so much into this research and development department. A lot of other small stories have been tinkering out over the last week about Buck loving numbers and stats through the old-timey days. So I guess that's, like, a little bit better. But, again, like I think it's meaningful that Buck made it through this interview that was, I'm sure, very analytics-laden. I've just gotten, like, to the point where I'm tired of even arguing against it because it, it really doesn't matter. No one's going to hear us, and it's not going to make any sort of difference whatsoever. So as long as he comes in and he does everything that he's supposed to and the Mets win, I'll be happy. But it's just I do get so concerned because he is such an old man. He's just so old school that it might, I don't know, it might not clash well with you know some of the guys that the Mets have. Who knows? I don't think it would go well at all. That's why I think that like everybody should be in the room when they talk to Buck Showalter, even now. Like Ben Zausmer, the Mets uh, head of research and development, all the new Mets analytics people they just signed. I want to go on a little analytics tangent because I think it's meaningful. Also, last week, while this was going on, the Mets hired someone named Dan Schoenfeld to be their minor league analytics coordinator. That guy is literally our age. He graduated <laughs> high school and college the same year as us, wow. and he's now the Mets minor leagues analytics coordinator. He is, cool. yeah, he's like the soft, like 30th employee that the Mets have put there. And that's up from six in 2018, somewhere between six and three. So the Mets in just three short years have gone from literally one of the smallest analytics department in baseball to looking like they're going to be one of the biggest. And this guy Schoenfeld's kind of funny because, again, he's our age. He's been the Royals' uh, lead prospect research and development guy for the last few years. And like one of the generally smaller R&D departments in all of baseball because the Royals are cheap. But they have developed a lot of pretty good hitters in the last few years, a couple pitchers as well, so I think that's meaningful. And he was promoted to be their lead um, research and development analyst and oversee their player development just in October, and Steve hired them for this job one month later, <laughs> which is oh, that's so electric. I love that so much. That's big and Wall Street vibes right there. Big Wall Street vibes. Now this has officially made the Mets one of the few teams in baseball who's going to have a full-time analyst with every single minor league team, full-time. And that feels important. I mean, we know how important the minor leagues are. We've seen it with a lot of the teams that are successful you build those up, you get so much more depth, you get so much more value from your team, you can go make those trades, get those big players, and it's not like you're losing out on that depth that you still have. Mets minor league, an overhaul is going to be a nice you know, new thing coming to them. This is also a way that Steve Cohen can exert his will on the rest of Major League Baseball in sort of an out-of-the-box out of the box way that no one has really discussed because there's no cap on what you could pour into your analytics department. Like You can literally hire as many people as you want, spend as much money on these guys' roles as you want, on these guys' roles as you want. Because most of these teams, I'm sure the Mets are also like this, the uh, the ground floor. These guys make dirt. You're making like probably like minimum wage generally at these jobs, and you're working 100-hour weeks, and there's been painstaking amounts of education skill that goes into these jobs. So if he like pays these guys like a little bit more than the rest of the leagues, like he will be able to acquire talent very easily. Like I think about, I said before, Ben Zausmer. That who was hired last year, like during all the Lindor negotiation chaos, kind of got swept under the rug. But Steve Cohen basically told this guy who came as an analyst from the Dodgers, I want this to be Dodgers East. It seems like he's gotten now like full autonomy to make this team Dodgers East and the way they're going to build up the system. And there's also just, there's such a clear correlation with how many people you have working in your analytics departments and how successful you are. Like as of last year, besides the Mets, because they had a big department last year, but it was the first year of everybody being involved. The six teams with the highest number of analytic staffers in this order were Dodgers, Yankees, Astros, Rays, Brewers, 
Braves. So you just named six playoff teams. Yeah, six of the best teams in baseball, the World Series champion, the World Series favorite, the American League favorite, the, the other American League favorite, the other American League favorite, and the smartest team in baseball who develops pitchers like nobody's business. And the Red Sox were seventh. And they built up just last year like the Mets. So one more year, they're probably going to be really hitting the ground running. So yeah. this shit really works. That's not a bad list. Like, we got to just be all into it. And if Buck Showalter's all in, then I'm all in on Buck. Yeah, if he's ready to actually listen and use the numbers and play modern baseball, sure. That's it. That's all 100%. we want. We want modern baseball. We don't want to go back in time. On the surface level, it feels like it is a back-in-time move, but prove us wrong. Billy Epler Billy Epler proved us big-time wrong. Went out and made some moves. Buck Walter do the same. Definitely. I think it's also meaningful that as these rumors about manager are trickling out, Epler seems to prefer Espada, yeah. even though he was more linked to, um, to Buck at the beginning because apparently he wanted him in Anaheim, and it didn't work out, this and that, yada, yada. So there already might be a little bit of power struggle here between the new GM, who was like the 18th choice for general manager, and Steve Cohen, who is very smart and knows how to hire people, but does never hire the baseball manager before. So it's interesting. And also, Buck Walter, he could just be lying through his teeth. He could just he could be saying anything to get inside this door because the Mets are building something. I know he wants to get in because he needs that ring. Buck Walter needs that ring. Yeah, for a, for a legacy for Buck Walter to live on, you know, past his days, he needs a ring. Otherwise, he's just another manager in Major League Baseball, unfortunately for him. He wants to get on this bandwagon. He wants to hop on as quickly as possible. We'll see. We'll see what it goes. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Buck, though. I would be more surprised than not if the Mets don't hire Buck Walter at this point. The Mets are kind of backed into a corner if they don't hire Buck because... If Joe Espada, I think I may have said this word for word either on the last podcast or to you just personally, if he's 13-14 and 14 on May 1st and the Mets are like already four games behind the Braves, like the line to get on WFAN in the afternoon is going to be 12 hours long. Yeah. Like you're going to have to call them at 7 in the morning and hopefully get on for the evening show. It'll be literal chaos on the radio, Twitter, television, on the streets, with our families. Like It will be Im- unbearable if they don't hire Buck Walter and whoever it is fails right away even though it won't be it fails i put that in air quotes for everyone fails. listening not watching on youtube it's still as a manager they, it's not gonna be that person's fault but you know that's how it's going to be portrayed yep and we saw it the last few years so manager stuff a lot still to be heard a lot still to be said but it feels like maybe next week we might have a little more clarity as to what's going on december 23rd is my guess okay right but christmas ev festivus yeah festivus yes which, that feels like a very Buck Walter holiday, if I had to say anything. I feel like he loves airing grievances. Buck Walter is the only managerial candidate who has appeared on an episode of Seinfeld. That's, that's, that's big points right there. That's a little bit meaningful right there. And I'm sure he does feats of strength as well in the locker room if anyone tries to step up to him. So Buck, how, maybe how, many push, how many push-ups do you think Buck Walter could do right now? That should be part of the interview. I think more than we would expect. For some reason, I could just see him just pound out... Like a minute. How many? Oh, in a minute? I don't even know how many I can do in a minute. That's not really fair. Well, not that many, probably. <laughs> I don't even know how quick it is to do a push-up. That's like, I can't, I can't do that math. 50? Is that too many? That's way too many. That's like All what right. someone in shape could do in a minute. Okay, 25. That's, I, I like that one. Yeah, 25 for Buck. Yeah, I feel that. Now, can Buck Walter do more push-ups than me in a minute? That's the real question. That... That, that has a lot of potential as a video. Yeah, we, we might need to do that if Buck Walter's manager. First piece of business, you and Mark Luino, push-ups. Who can do more in a minute? Hey, Buck, this young YouTuber who's never played the game, never managed in the big leagues, he was giving you shit for the last three months. I bet he, he thinks he could do more push-ups than you. <laughs> Buck let me like, oh, yeah? Let me see. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, enough Buck Walter. Let's talk about the Rule 5, guys. Uh, not the... Major League Rule 5, but the right. Minor League Rule 5. And the big difference here is that, obviously, you don't have to keep these guys on the 40-man. They don't have to stay on the Major League roster for the entire season to give them back. I don't know what the exact rule is, but it's basically, 
a lower version of the current Rule 5 draft that everyone's used to. You basically have a max amount of rosterable players on your minor league rosters. Like, in AAA, it's like 37, and AA, it's like 32 or 34. It's more than major league rosters because they want more guys out there to give more shots, but it's not like a hard line like a, a 40 men where you have to keep a guy in the whole season. So it's just any team who has extra roster spots because you can cut minor league guys every single year. It doesn't get guys for assignment, tra- but guys are using trades. Most teams will have space for this, but not all teams will use it because they kind of maybe want to fill that minor league roster out with more major league guys on minor league deals. But this was a rare opportunity for some teams who kind of were going to have more space to be able to get more guys in because you just couldn't sign major league guys right now. And this is like, you don't really hear about this very often. You probably wouldn't have heard about it even from us if the lockout wasn't going on. But the Mets got Adam Aller last year in the minor league Rule 5 draft. So it is possible to get meaningful guys who contribute the Rays. A few years ago, I got Ryan Thompson here, someone who pitched in the World Series for them. So, again, there is a path to um, serviceability through this draft. And the Mets got two guys who might actually wind up being serviceable. They also lost two who might wind up being serviceable, but that's the way it goes. But they got Alex Valverde from the Rays and Carlos Ocampo from the Cubs. Valverde's 25-year-old in A, near the top of the Eastern League, or the Southern League in strikeouts and whiffs. He did walk a few too many guys, especially for a 25-year-old in A at 9%. But he also got over 40% ground balls, and his FIP was like 1.3 lower than ZRA. So it's going to be bad defense in the minor league, so that will probably affect a guy. And something that I think is interesting is that he transitioned to the rotation of, I think it's like the Columbus Biscuits, which is a hilarious name for minor league team, or Columbia Biscuits. <laughs> Montgomery like, Biscuits. Montgomery Biscuits, yeah, that's the yeah. one. Transitioned the rotation towards the end of the year, made nine starts there after being a reliever the whole year, and kept up all of his stats and actually pitched to a better ERA. And I know he has a live fastball and a very good slider. So if this is something that the Mets are going to make this guy into a starter next year, they've had a lot of success with starters. These like weird mid-level starters the last couple of years, it's good. And you always want to grab a guy from the Rays because they always have a roster crunch. They had unprecedented winning across their minor leagues. Best winning percentage ever through an entire minor league season, organizational-wide. So any guy we can take from them is cool. Then Ocampo from the Cubs, throws really hard, gets a shit ton of whiffs. 67 strikeouts versus, I think it was 11 walks this year in a low A as a 23-year-old, so a little older, but still. Throws like 96 miles an hour. Gave up tons of hard contact, though. His fastball kind of runs. It doesn't ride, so that's not great, but throws 90s, so worth a shot. Yeah, and I saw Jacob Resnick was tweeting out videos of these guys. They all look like they have pretty electric stuff. So, yeah, you fastballs, know, Jeremy Hefner, fastballs the, and sliders. The Mets pitching magic that we've been sprinkling on all over these guys. I go. love to see that these guys have stuff, and they're not throwing 88 like one of the guys we saw at the Arizona Fall League. <laughs> Garrison Bryant. Garrison Bryant, yeah. Sorry, man. No, it's, yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're working out there, but it's just... It's 88. Yeah, I'd rather get this guy through a 97 with a wipeout slider. Who yes. Can't, who can't, doesn't have that good of command. And we lost two guys, too. Alan Winnins to the Braves. Baseball America actually listed him as one of their top prospects available in this draft, so it's a shame he was unprotected, but see, uh, that, whatever. He had a 1.72 ERA and 0.81 whip as a reliever for Brooklyn and Binghamton, which are pretty astounding numbers and he has a very good slider and he throws it more than 50 percent of the time which having that command of an off-speed pitch at that level is very impressive and i think will uh couple breed uh breed success in the future especially for a reliever and we lost tommy wilson to the mariners because the mariners love x-mets but they immediately traded him to the orioles so this guy's apparently a hot commodity and this guy has a good slider he seems like he's a he's a fun guy he's a big boy 6'4 220 and his dad was in back to the future fun fact about sure. tommy wilson that i never thought i would hear 
Yeah, hope Tommy Wilson shout, shout you out, man. And Alan, Alan Winnings, too. Hope you guys have great careers. Yeah, good luck. Just don't do it against the Mets. And yeah. that's our minor league baseball rule five draft coverage because that's all we got for you there. There's not much. Players moving, guys. Players moving. The Messed Up Podcast will clue you into the player movement happening. All lockout. Whether you know of these guys or not, we will tell you something. Something about them. Even just their name, maybe sometimes. But we will give you something. And that now leads us to the fun part. Yeah. Where we are going to be doing the most Mets team ever. Now, James, you came up with this idea, so I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. let you run with it a little bit here and kind of explain what the idea and what the criteria is per se. Absolutely. Well, Mark and I were talking about content yesterday, and I mean, we're talking about the M- the minor league baseball rule five draft and the Rays longtime bench coach here from the first 20 minutes of this episode. So we needed some content. And we sent out a tweet yesterday from the Mets Up podcast, like, what should we do? What do you guys want to hear us talk about tomorrow? And a lot of people said, I want to hear you guys draft an all-time Mets team, best 26 roster, Mark and James each make a lineup, we can vote who's better. And I was thinking to myself, like, that is a good idea, but that's a little bit boring. And I, as a, like, as a, as a amateur content creator, like to set the bar a little bit higher. I've seen a lot of people do these all-time drafts the last few days. And when you really think about the Mets history, it's not filled with these incredible players, Hall of Famers, MVPs, league winners. That's not really what the Mets are about. Ed Cranepool is their franchise star. Ed Cranepool. Ed Cranepool. Ed Cranepool. That's what we have to work with here. So I thought it would be way more fun and way more funny. I know that you guys like to hear Mark and I just get a little bit wild here. To have a draft of guys who are as Mets as it gets. And the only criteria is you have to play one game as a New York Met. So guys from all across history, the chaos of the Mets front office and ownership has been for 60 years, all the ridiculous old guys they got, all the insane minor leaguers they tried to make work, the crazy names, utility men, the backup catchers, the converted infielders, the converted pitchers, outfielders, the chaos, the failed prospects, everything in all. Mark and I are going to draft a team, eight position players, utility men, five starting pitchers, three relievers, and one closer right now for you guys. And it's going to get a little bit wild. Yes, and for the first pick, we went to Twitter, and we tweeted on the Messed Up Podcast, who gets to pick first, me or James? And right now, I believe I'm winning with 92 votes here. So I think I have 52.2%. James got 47.8%. I will happily take the first pick here. And this guy, I mean, he needs no introduction. I think when you think of the New York Mets, there's, you know, a short list of guys that always come to your mind. You're thinking David Wright. You're thinking Doc Gooden, Mike Piazza, and you're forgetting one guy. And that guy, of course, is the legendary, none other than Ed Cranepool. We have to take Ed Cranepool number one. I have to do Don LaGreca proud. Ed Cranepool! That's your guy! He screams into the mic as he says, that's our franchise guy. I mean, some just fun facts about Ed Cranepool. He played three games at the year at the age of 17 years old with the Mets. Three games, had six at-bats at 17. He played with the Mets until he was 34. 18 years with the Mets of just... Pure mediocrity, to be fair. I mean, no disrespect to Ed Cranepool. He's a legend. We love him over here. Love Ed Cranepool. Have his autograph. Met him as a kid. Yeah, nice guy. He deserves way more respect in the Mets world because he is the original New York Mets. 17 years old, he was playing three games at a major league level. Finished with a career OPS at 700, OPS plus 98. He's basically just the most average player for one of the most average franchises of all time. Ed Cranepool, number one, slot him in. All right. See, I didn't know what direction we were going to go to start this draft. And now I'm happy I know that because I'm going to take it in a wildly different direction for my second overall pick. And I'm going to take a guy who, for Mets fans who are at least our age, perhaps get smidge younger, definitely a little bit older. This guy is someone you will never forget 
for your entire life. You'll hear this name when you're 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, and a shiver will go straight down your spine. You will think about what an absolute catastrophe that this player was at the time they got him and what happened. And this player, my starting shortstop for the New York Mets, is none other than Kazoo Matsui. Damn it. Damn it. That That's was, where I thought you were going one because you talked about an infield. That was that was one of my two shortstops I have written down was Kaz yep. Matsui yep. because when you think of, the like you said, catastrophe. Yes. They moved Jose Reyes away from shortstop to play this guy there. I wanted to bring it up for a second because 2003, Jose Reyes came up as a top prospect in baseball as a 20-year-old. And in 70 games, he hit 307 with a 330 on base, 434 slug, and 102 OPS plus and 13 steals and 16 attempts with 21 extra base hits again 70 games as a 20 as a 20 year old and the Mets are like wait a second you see this guy in Japan we're gonna sign him to play your position have fun with second base and they did that for almost the entire season in 2004 and to be fair I'm gonna I'm gonna give the Mets some credit here Kaz Matsui I don't know if you've ever seen his numbers in Japan no, what he a was legend doing. I know I know yeah he was he was like a, a 30 40 guy over there so he was a beast when he was playing and he also in a couple years with the Mets, he wasn't really, like, dreadfully awful. Like, that rookie year, he was actually sixth in the rookie of the year balloting. He had seven homers, which, again, for 114 games for a shortstop back in the day was pretty good. 30 doubles, 14 stolen bases, hit 270, 330 uh, um, on base percentage. Like, this was a guy who wasn't awful besides in the field. In 2004, at shortstop, Kaz Matsui made 23 errors in 114 <laughs> games. Every single game was at shortstop, of course, because he's Kaz Matsui. He's coming over as a shortstop, not your phenom Jose Reyes. And again, in in that year, Jose Reyes was literally abysmal at the plate. He had a uh, 66 OPS plus, his 250 in 50 games, ended up missing most of the year with injuries. So Kaz Matsui is my first pick because that was when I was like really starting to love the Mets. It was one of my first conscious seasons in 2004, and I'll just never forget how angry WFN and my dad specifically were that this guy was playing shortstop over this young phenom and Jose Reyes. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. That is definitely the best pick at shortstop. That at least buys me some time now. I don't have to pick the shortstop for a while. I can start throwing yeah. out some names here, and we're going with a banger in round two. Are we not? We're not. We're not snaking it. We're just drafting. Oh, we can snake. We can snake. I think that's fair. Snake is fair. All right, because my next pick is somebody who is near and dear to most Met fans' heart, a critical cog in the Mets World Series run of 2015, someone who I learned today, just a few short hours ago, actually had the most at-bats from the third base position of any Met in that year of 2015 at the hot corner for my Mets team is Eric Campbell, Mr. Soup. (laughs) Soup. The most at-bats by any Mets third baseman in 2015. That guy drove me crazy my dad loved him as a player so he hits the ball hard every time i'm like but he doesn't he just doesn't do that he's not good it's like that i have this eggs of lots thing to tell you about it's like nah <laughs> it's just like eric campbell he had the most at bats at third base in 2015 yep he had like 50 more than david Wright. oh my god he was i see i didn't even write him down because i wouldn't even dare put him on one of my teams i only did it because only the mets could go to a world series when over the course of a season eric campbell had their most at bats at third base yeah, that's I mean, why go... he's a Met. That's why he's one of the most Mets players of all time. Because this guy managed 300 at bats in a year where the Mets went to the World Series. Just try to put that through your head for a second. No, that's pretty good. That's pretty it's good. It's pretty right. Mets. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise you one better though. I'm gonna uh-huh. raise you one better. You might get a little bit of idea of where my picks are going more. So here mm-hmm. is uh, we're gonna head out to the outfield. There's I got like 15 guys written down, and when you think of you know some of the greatest Met outfielders of all time, again you got a lot of different names. 
Carlos Beltran. Maybe you throw Cleon Jones out there. Daryl Strawberry. Throw some of those guys out there. How about Jason Bay? How about Mr. Jason Bay, the man who couldn't get over the Great Wall of Flushing? Refuse to put him even near my list. Yeah, well, Jason Bay is going to be in my outfield. Slot him in. Talk about an absolute Mets player at the core of it. He had career years. He was one of the best hitters in baseball with Pittsburgh and Boston. He was unbelievable. He comes to the Mets. Not only can't hit because the Great Wall of Flushing just owned him. He was mentally one of the weakest guys out there. But then when he started to play well, he got concussed, and then that was it. He couldn't play again with the Mets. He was never the same. Unfortunately, that was kind of the end of his career, so it's a little bittersweet that he didn't actually get a chance to come back and show us what we could have had. But Jason Bay, you talk to any Mets fan of the last 30 years, that's a guy that they bring up that just gives you nightmares. I was at Jason Bay's first game as a Met. I think it was 2011. And if I remember correctly, he had two extra base hits in that game. That's crazy because that might be two of his 25 extra base hits as a New York Met. I mean, he just really didn't put up many seasons with this team. No, almost not. He, oh God, what that guy. That guy gave me me trust issues for a whole decade of my life. Yeah, and (laughs) he's just the tip of the iceberg. We got so much more left here because I'm about to hit you with another trust issue. Uh Uh-huh. Coming in at my utility position. Ooh. Because he didn't actually uh, didn't actually play the field at all with the New York Mets. I think you might know where I'm going here. Mm-hmm. He was signed by one of the great GMs in baseball history, Brody Van Wagenen. <sighs> On my list. Stand up and clap, New York Mets fans. It's Jed Lowry. Whew. Jed Lowry. What do you have? Three at-bats for the Mets? Never touched the field defensively. If you want to talk about trust issues, Jed Lowry is the ultimate guy with trust issues. He went from being healthy, clean bill of health to, well, maybe it's a little, you know, a sprained ankle or whatever it was to, oh, this guy's out for a year. Oh, this guy's never going to play again for the Mets. And then he goes out to Oakland last year and has a really nice season with them. Fuck Jed Lowry. God, I hate that guy. I was I was going to take him on my last pick and I, I thought I was going to be able to get him next. Fuck, damn it. No, I'm 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 really leaning into the misery. I'm really leaning into the because listen, we're we're on our way out of LOL Mets, so this is going to be yeah. like almost a magnum opus of yeah. LOL Mets here. With kind of right Jason Bay, Jed Lowry. I have oh, oh man, where am I going to go? So we got two picks here, two picks. All right. And that was my utility. That's very important. Okay, yeah. So we're we're, we're keeping second base open. Yeah, I'm keeping second base open because I got more names. <laughs> I only have a couple second basemen. Oh, I've got some great ones. All right, where am I going here? Where am I going here? Where am I going here? All right, I think I have one. We want to talk about Mets misery. There's no nothing's more miserable than the Mets fail prospects from over the years. We have seen guys who were supposed to be the second coming, who were going to be covers of magazines, who were going to take the team of the promised land, and there was no Mets prospect of our youth that was a bigger deal than one Fernando yep. Martinez. This guy had all the tools, he had all the makeup, he was hitting balls over schoolyards in Double A. He could do anything, no no wrong whatsoever, and he came up and was absolutely abysmal as a Major League Baseball player the, the entire time he was a Major League Baseball player. He also, I think, ran into some big, big injury problems as well as soon Serious as he got ones. to the Major yeah, League couldn't, level. Couldn't even try to stay healthy. But his only real shot was 100 play the appearance cup of coffee in 2009, and this guy hit 176, one home run, one of two home runs he ever hit as a Met from 2009 through 2011. He ended up catching on with the Astros in 2012 when they were the worst team in baseball. Put, to get, put together a 40-game sample where he hit 240. But Fernando Martinez, man, the best that never was. Just couldn't even get a beat on this guy. That guy, I mean, he was supposed to be the second coming. The next Daryl Strawberry, Mike Piazza of this franchise of like, he's going to be a cornerstone, he's going to turn around, he's going to lead you to a World Series, and he couldn't have done any less impact on this team than that. I mean, 
Ugh, the people we could have probably traded him for. I don't even want to think about that. No, probably could have been a piece that made us not collapse two years in a row, 2007, 2008. Franchise-changing players, yeah. Yeah, like a pitcher who could have helped the Mets possibly win a World Series. But again, that's neither here nor there. Whatever. My next pick, this is a guy who I'll never forget the rest of my life. A guy that somehow and some way is still an active pitcher in Major League Baseball 20 years later. He was a mega prospect. He was a high-money signing. He did actually have a couple pretty solid years for the Mets. I know who it is. But he pitched a game on a Friday night in 2007 that I was at that ruined the whole thing. Gave up like six runs in the first inning. Absolutely catapulted any chance the Mets might have had to win, to go to the playoffs with one of the best rosters in baseball. And this guy is left-handed pitcher Oliver Perez, my ace of my most Mets staff of all time. Yep, I had Ali listed down. I mean, the 2006 playoff run as well, he was integral in giving up a big home run. Um, he's just, you look all around the mid-2000s and you think of, you know, dysfunction or, the, you know, choking, and Oliver Perez is right at the center of it. Again, that 2007 season, Oliver Perez was not bad. He had 3-5 ERA in 170 innings with the Mets. Like, he was decent. But then you go to the next couple of years, 2008, 4-2-2 ERA, starting 34 games, the most in baseball. Also, you issued the most walks in baseball, the thing we know Oliver Perez best for. And then we get 2009, 66 innings, 6.82 ERA, and that's when the wheels fell off from there. But eventually, just two years after he left the Mets, went to Seattle, the, the antithesis of the Mets, he became a left-handed reliever. And from then on, he has remained a left-handed reliever, throwing just three innings for Cleveland last year, but three innings that I did not think Oliver Perez would throw in the Lord's year of 2021. Yeah, man, Oliver Perez, what a freaking name to pull out there. It's it's so incredible that this guy actually still has a chance to be a pitcher in 2022. He was a good one up until last year, like yeah. 2020 through 18 innings that were decent. He was okay in 2019. Like he's been a pitcher who was like fine somehow still. All right. Well, for my next pick here cuz I'm up, right? You just picked your oh, back yeah. to back? You're up. All right. I mean, we're talking about lol Mets, right? That's This is what this is all about. We're picking the most Mets players ever. How about a guy we're still play, paying to this day that hasn't stepped on the field that's in 20 good, years? That's a good one. It's Bobby Bonilla. You got to take Bobby Bonilla in the outfield. I mean, that's the fact one. that I was able to get this value here in the fourth <laughs> round is just unmatched. That's incredible. Bobby Bonilla. Everybody knows about it. Bobby Bonilla Day. We celebrate it every year. We pay him a million dollars for the next 40, 50 years, whatever it is. What a swindle job that guy did. He never really had to do much with this Mets team, and he's still getting checks to this day. He is the ultimate, seriously, probably the most ultimate LOL Mets player of all time. Absolutely. You can't really go past him. No, you literally can't. You can't at all. And can't believe I let him go this far. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a mistake on you. I was re- I was really happy. I knew you were really all in on the pitching. So when I heard Oliver Perez, I was upset because he's the clear ace. He's the clear ace of the pitching. Yeah, there's no, there's no more Mets ace than that. But I'll again. That was a good pick. I just didn't go back far enough. I totally forgot about him. Blind spot. Yes, yes. So we got him. Now I'm going to go back to the infield here. I'm going to stay on the, the offensive side of the baseball, and I'm going to go to second base. And, you know, this guy, he had some he had some good seasons in some teams around the National League East, like the Marlins, um, but he's probably best known for dropping the fly yeah, ball against the New York Yankees, best, yeah. and that would be my least favorite Met of all time, not even close, Luis Castillo. I hate this guy. It's 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 almost a sin that I put him on this team. But I didn't put him I, on for that reason. Yeah, I, I, every bone in my body hates Luis Castillo. Luis Castillo said, "Hey, Mark, what's up? How you doing?" I'd say, "Go fuck yourself." I hate him. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with this guy. Oh, he was he was supposed to be like that missing piece because when we were you know at second base, the guys that were running out there were like, uh, what was it John Valentine? What's his name? Jose, Jose Valentin. Jose Valentin. Jose Valentin. Like we were thrown out. 
geriatric patients at second base. And Luis Castillo had always been good, came to the Mets, and he just was awful. And I also have to give a shout out to John Miller, who loves overpronunciating uh, Hispanic names. And when Luis? he did Luis Castillo. Castillo. No, Castillo. Castillo. He, he was, gave he us. Gave him, the, he gave him the Castillo. Castillo. He gave the the real the real double L sound that you know only the real Hispanics can do. Um, Luis Castillo is my second baseman. That's a hell of a pick right there. Hell of a pick. Did you just make two picks? Um, that is two picks for me. So you are now up again. I'm up again. I'm up again. See, like I have some outfielders I really want to take, but I already have one back there. So it mean, it makes me feel like I should go to a different position. Who is the most met player on my list here? You know, I I am gonna take this outfielder because I think this outfielder is just he again, there's a mainstay of our childhood as growing up as Mets fans. This is a guy who was I don't wanna say he was like near MVP talent, but this guy was a hell of a ball player at the time the Mets pulled him in and literally and I mean this literally, could not was so fat that he could not stay on the field as a member of the Mets. And this is none oh that's wait, this is an outfielder. This is a first baseman. I fucked up. This man is no other than the great the legend, Mo Vaughn. Yep. Mo Vaughn signed to the Mets ahead of the 2001 season. In three years, did not even catch 162 games. No, he actually, no, he got just over 162 games. Catch, he played pl- first base, yeah. Yeah, he played 166 in three years. Mo Vaughn, baby. Mo I freaking Vaughn. I was so excited when Mo Vaughn was a Met. I loved Mo Vaughn. I, he was in backyard baseball. He was so cool. He hit for power. I was a huge Mo Vaughn guy. I was like, the Mets got Mo Vaughn, and then he just... He Albert Hainsworth us a little bit. Oh, big time Albert Hainsworth us. Do you do you want to hear the games played by Mo Vaughn the five years before he came to the Mets? It's got to be 162, 162, 162. 161, 141, 154, 139, 161. Dead, dead. Just died. Dead, dead in the water, Mo Vaughn. So, so not good. One of the worst signings the Mets have ever made. Definitely. I'm trying to even just find his contract right now. I can't even. I think it was like getting about $17 million a year, which was a lot back then. Oh, it was a it was a three year contract for forty million dollars, which again back okay. then actually oh no forty eight three years for forty eight million dollars with a full signing bonus for that two thousand four season his last year with the club. So that must have been really great for them to pay out. Yeah, God, Mo Vaughn. All right, who you got next? Who I got next? Who do I got next? And put Mo Vaughn. Make sure I bold him on my list. Put him on. Uh, put my first baseman because I really didn't think he was a first baseman. Oh yeah, Mo Vaughn, big first base. Where else could he play? <laughs> so we have on my list so far. Big free agents who failed, mega prospects who failed, an international free agent who failed. I want to do the reverse of that. I want to get a guy who was so obscure and so ineffective with the Mets that they let him go for literally nothing. And he went to the wonderful country of South Korea for a year and learned how to pitch and came back in 2022 and found his way to 15 wins out in the Pacific Northwest. And that man, my number two pitcher, I'd feel, I'd feel good starting the NLDS with this guy as my number two pitcher, Chris goddamn Flexen. <laughs> Where, how bad did the Mets need Chris Flexen in 2021? My God. How bad do they need him next year? I need, I'd like him right now. Fuck <laughs> yeah. Chris uh, Flexen. I just, I can't, you know, I can't really blame the Mets, though. I will say that. I don't blame the Mets at all, but that, that's a Mets thing to happen. Exactly. Yeah, Chris Flexen figured out how to pitch as soon as he left the New York area. My uncle was going off about Chris Flexen during Thanksgiving. He's like, how oh, do you lose this guy and he learns how to pitch? And then one year later, how's it happen? <laughs> Oh, Chris Flexen. My goodness. Oh, man. All right. So I'm going to actually take my first picture here. And this guy, I think, is also is is more so of the good side of the Mets here. More so of the only the Mets could pull this off. And he's a pitcher. He's known for one particular pitch in, uh, in particular. Oh, nice. 
I'm going to go with R.A. Dickey because only the Mets, really. I mean, like, at the time. Now, obviously, if you told me the Dodgers or the Brewers or the Rays, that's who I'd expect now. But only the Mets could get R.A. Dickey at age what? Age 35 and be like, he made a spot start, I remember. He just, we needed someone badly. And they were like, wait a second. He pitched really well. And then he started to pitch more and he had a 280 R.A. And then you go, you know, a few years later, he's a staple of this Mets rotation and he wins a Cy Young Award as a knuckleballer. He was disgusting. I mean, 273 ERA, 233 innings pitch, led Major League Baseball in strikeouts that year. Or National <laughs> League, I apologize. The National League in strikeouts that year. And it wasn't like, you know, just because he pitched the most. He had like a 9K per 9. That was oh, pretty was good. good back then. He was a very, very good pitcher. And he brought us Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno, who were big parts of the World Series runs. R.A. Dickey on the positive side of, you know, only the Mets, right? Only the Mets. All right, Dickie, that's a good pick. And then I'm also going to stay on the pitching side again here. Mm-hmm. And this guy had some positive times with us too. Um, but you might remember him for maybe swinging the bat a little bit more. Uh, called by Gary Cohen as the greatest, what was it, the greatest thing that's ever happened in baseball history? Oh, I think the impossible has happened. The impossible, yeah. The impossible has happened. That's what it was. Bartolo Colon, big sexy. I mean, you can't talk about... That's a pander pick. That's I don't care about a pander pick because Bartolo Colon... He's the ultimate meme. He became a meme when he came to the Mets. He was always a fat load with every single team he was ever with. But the Mets were like, you know what? Four years old, Bartolo Colon, you have another family that you're taking care of. We want you. And he's still, every single year, rumored that the Mets should bring back Bartolo Colon. And thank God they haven't because he's 75 or however old he is now. But Big Sexy, whether it was throwing his 85-mile-an-hour fastball, dot in the inside corner with a two-seam, swinging the bat, he was always must-watch baseball. And I love that he was a part of the Mets history. Today's the anniversary of the Mets signing him, and it was just way too big of a deal on Twitter. Yeah, that we, we can calm down with that for sure. It's ridiculous that to this day, everyone on the internet is like, Bartolo Colon, oh, Mets got to bring him back. It's The infatuation is insane. It's over. It's, it's way over. I mean, you thought he was out of shape then. He hasn't played baseball in, what, three or four years? I can imagine Bartolo's pushing Zion Williamson weight. <laughs> I don't think anyone's pushing Zion Williamson weight at this point. All right, my next pick... Usually when I do fantasy baseball draft, I like to wait on closers because it's the most volatile position in baseball. You never know who's going to do what year after year. <clears throat> you never know who's going to hold what role. But I just couldn't let this guy wait any longer. Big theme of my picks so far have been disappointing Mets. Guys who were so much better elsewhere, whether it be before or after, or just perceived they would be better so than other teams than the Mets. My closer on my all-time Mets team is none other than the great, the powerful, the eccentric Francisco Rodriguez, dubbed K-Rod. K-Rod. To sign at the time, I believe it was the largest contract ever for a relief pitcher. Coming yeah, off definitely. the season with the most saves of all time for a relief pitcher, which I think is still standing, and will most likely never ever be broken because no team would be dumb enough to send a guy who's not even that good out there for a 70 save chances in a season. To have the shoddy seasons that he had consistently, and then, above all else, beat the shit out of his father-in-law, I believe it was? Yeah. Un- in- inside of, I, don't- I think that was City Field already at the time? Like, it doesn't get more Mets than that. That is... K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, the, my closer, all-time Mets team. Yeah, that's probably the best closer you could choose. I'm sure maybe there's maybe there some guys old back in the day that we don't know about, but K-Rod is as pretty as Mets as it gets. As Mets as it gets. I love that. I love that phrase. And my next pick, I, uh, I wanted to give a couple legacy picks here. Some real old-timey Mets. Some guys who were just some grinders. Some guys who sat down on some Mets teams and did so much for so little for so many years. I'm going to get a catcher, a guy who's going to lead my team into the promised land. I know None... who it is. 
None other than Jerry Grothy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Grothy. You guys want to hear Jerry Grothy stats? He played for 11 seasons with the New York Mets from 1966. Then he got traded in the middle of 1977 season. From 1966 to 1976, Jerry Grothy had a combined 35 home runs in 1,200 games. <laughs> he caught oh 1,200 games with the New York Mets in an 11-year window. This guy was a grinder, as good as it gets right there. This is, this is, this is blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth, hard-hat baseball, Jerry Grody, baby. Those teams, besides for going to two World Series, sure, were some of the worst teams statistically in the history of the sport. And Jerry Grody was back there squatting day in and day out, doing what he had to do. Yeah, no, that's that's a pretty good pick. That's a, uh, like you said, a legacy pick. And you know what? I'm going to make my legacy pick here too because when I asked my dad the same question, the first name out of his mouth, not even close, didn't even get to finish the question, third baseman for my most Mets team ever, Jim Fregosi. He was the guy that they traded for Nolan Ryan, and he was just bad. He was just ass. Like, you traded <laughs> Nolan bad. Ryan for Jim Fregosi. I mean, there's no world. I know Nolan Ryan wasn't... Nolan Ryan that we know today, of course, but the fact that you gave up this guy who is one of the best pitchers of all time for a guy that I'm I'm sure, I don't know, I'd go out on a limb and say 85% of you don't know about because if no. we have a younger audience, Jim Fergozzi played for the Mets a total of about 150 games, and in those 150 games with the Mets, he hit 233, the 319 on base, 328 slugging, 646 OPS, Five homers, 19 doubles, 43 RBIs. I mean, even for old-time baseball, nothing. He had nothing. And he was coming off some really good years in uh, Los, Los Angeles, California with the A's, where he was really good, where he was constantly putting OPS pluses up above like 110, 120. He was a good player. Came to the Mets for Nolan Ryan. Stunk. So Jim Fergozzi is going to be my third baseman. Um, I had an honorable mention there that I'll hold a little bit to the end. Maybe we can say them after we're all done with our picks of just some guys we didn't get to mention. But he's going to be my third baseman. And then coming in at shortstop, I think this might be one of the biggest favorites of Mets fans around the world. Yes, I almost had him too. And it happened at this position. He cried for the Mets, cried for this team. He even played shortstop during the World Series. I mean, Wilmer Flores. Whole World Series. Is going to be my guy at shortstop. You cry for the Mets because you got traded? Who who in the hell wants to stay with this organization? That they cry so much. They're like, I don't want to leave. I know Wilmer came over with the Mets when he was 16. He like went, I think, right to Savannah because weirdly enough, I had a college class and the professor was the owner of the Savannah Sand Nats. And he was talking about the incredibly difficult time that Wilmer Flores had adjusting to living in Savannah as like a 17, 18-year-old, whatever it was. And when he heard about the possibility that he might get traded... He broke out in tears, broke out in tears. And not to mention, Wilmer was a great player for us, too. He had some great moments. One of the most clutch players that we've oh, seen and yeah. put on a Mets uniform, without a doubt. I think if he wasn't on this team or wasn't on this list, it would be a disservice. Wilmer Flores is going to be my shortstop. It's a great pick. That was a hell of a pick right there. He was my other shortstop besides Kaz. If you went Kaz 1, I was taking Wilmer there, no doubt. I'm happy you went with that because I wanted him to be on this list. Yeah, the other guy I had written down was Mike Bordick, which I don't Oof. know if that's a name you're familiar with, but no. the Mets, I believe, traded for him in like 2000 to be their shortstop from the Orioles. Great with the Orioles. Played that half a season with the Mets and never came back. Went right back to Baltimore. He stunk. He was horrible. But yeah, I, I like Wilmer more. So I think it's now your turn here. We're starting to uh, you know wrap up these starting lineups. It's going to be a lot of pitching heavy, heavy right now. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go a pitcher right here. Pitcher, I can't believe made it this far. There's no one I think about more so when I think about the shoulda, woulda, couldas of the Mets because that's what this entire organization is based on, shoulda, woulda, and coulda. And no one strikes me more as that than the Dark Knight, Matt Harvey, 
the former best pitcher in baseball, the most electrifying right-hander I think I still maybe have ever seen in my adult life, just now mired in mediocrity, throwing 140 innings for the Baltimore Orioles to a 5 ERA. He doesn't, it doesn't get worse than that. Matt Harvey went from being one of the best pitchers in baseball to literally being trapped in baseball hell, or baseball purgatory, I guess we could call it. And some of that is his fault. Some of that were things out of his control. But I cannot think about Matt Harvey and not become just viscerally upset even to this point in my life yeah I know we were a little tough on him when we like went up against him this year but like that's just fact of the matter but we all remember the great days with Harvey and it was it was a pretty insane high it was it was almost like nothing you could even compare that to even now like we know how good Jacob deGrom is but there was still not even the type of fanfare as was for Harvey because he was the first of that generation of big Mets pitching prospects that we waited so long for and he had, like, the New York swag. He was a good-looking guy. He was kind of more imposing on the mound. Like, he was a beast. And he just he went right at name. Yeah, the Dark Knight. It's still an elite nickname. One of the best ones I've ever seen the Mets give out. But, God, Matt Harvey makes me sad still. God, sucks. But let's make another pick now. I think I'm going to dip back into the outfield waters, and I'm going to stick with my um my failed prospect. Uh, <sighs> No. Fell prospects here. There's two. There's two of them. No. There's two of them out there. But I'm gonna get one. No, don't do it. A center fielder. I don't know if he played center field or not. I might just. I might just flip and take your guy now. I don't even. I, you know, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna originally go with because this was the guy who was the pair with Fernando Martinez. The Mets yeah. had these two freaks coming up no. at the same time. They were gonna do oh. everything, and his name is Carlos Gomez. <gasps> oh yes. Oh, you thought I was gonna take the other one? Yeah. <laughs> With the crazier name? Yes. All right. Yes. Well, there you go. I wanted the guy to play center. I wanted the guy who could play center. That's fair. That's fair. Carlos Gomez, uh, he did some good for us, though. That home run against the Nationals in 2019, I'll, I'll never forget that. It was a day game. Really, really sent us to the right spot. But Carlos Gomez, man, five-tool player. None of them ever came to be. Part of that famous Wilmer Flores trade back to the Mets that didn't come to fruition. They ended up getting him off the scrap heap five years later, which is just incredibly Mets. But Carlos Gomez... One of the first names I think of when I think of Mets. Also, huge shout out to him. Part of the big package that got us Johan Santana. That was huge. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I have most of the Johan Santana guys on this page. Yeah, so Carlos Gomez. All right, well, then I'm just going to take the guy that I thought you were going with, and I would have been devastated because I liked this guy when he got called up, and he would be a star nowadays. He would be a star. He'd be all over social media. People would be loving him. His play wouldn't be very great, but he would be a star, and that's going to be none other than Lasting's Millage. Absolutely. who was just a firecracker when it comes to talking about how he played the game. I mean, this is a guy who was a, a top prospect in the Mets organization. He got ranked as high as number nine preseason by Baseball America. He went 86-11-9. He was part of Futures games. He was supposed to be part of this future outfield that you just mentioned of Fernando Martinez, Carlos Gomez, and uh, uh, Blastings Millage, which... You'd think that would be great, but uh, none of them panned out, and he is just one of those all-around great names in baseball history. Definitely one of the most Mets players of all time. I'll never forget the moment the Mets clinched the 2006 division, which was like still in August because the Mets were so dominant that year, like early September, a home game against the Marlins. And Lasting's Millage had come up during the summer of that team and was like playing pretty well. Like He was at least hitting the ball a little bit. And they were in the locker room interviewing people, and he had a bottle of champagne. I don't know how old he was at the time, but he took a massive swig of that bottle of champagne, ripped it away, and he goes, this is my first drink. <laughs> and I lost my mind as a child. In 2006, he would have just been 21. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Great timing. So either yeah. he was lying and making a joke, or that really genuinely was Lasting's Millage first drink. Yeah, and we also remember when he, I think he hit a home run, and he went around the outfield when he was running out there and high five and everybody. Yeah. I mean, this guy was a memer at all aspects of the game. 
Love me some last things, Millage. Definitely did not pan out, though. No, it did not pan out whatsoever. All right, I'm going to go back to the pitching side here for my uh, second pick coming around, and I'm going to name a guy that I loathe. I, I loathe this guy. And it's because he was traded for a really good Mets prospect who wanted to be a is. part of Mets teams for, for years is. and years. I'm not picking Scott Casimir. We're picking Victor Zambrano, the guy who was traded for. Victor Zambrano stunk. There's no way around it. I mean, his value was that like he didn't get hurt because he, he couldn't possibly get hurt really because he was just through like 82. I don't. He was so bad. He was horrendous. He played way too long with the Mets and uh, he he was so bad. I mean, a career ERA with the Mets of four four two, one five WHIP. His FIP wasn't much better. He stunk in Tampa Bay too. It made no no sense that the Mets traded one of their top prospects in Scott Casimir for a legitimate bum in Victor Zambrano. So I got to take him because can't talk about the 2000s Mets without him. I have a very specific memory about Victor Zambrano. I'm, I'm going to share right now. His first ever start with the Mets, it was probably either mid-July or early August of that year. They traded. It was 2004, 2005? Yeah, 2004. I was in the car with my family. I think we were actually heading to a Brooklyn Cyclones game. All I remember is being in Staten Island and listening to his first start as a Met. And somehow, in some way, the Mets actually batted around in the first inning. I believe they were playing the Cubs. And he, I think Howie Rose talked about at the time, he was one of like three or four Mets pitchers ever who got an at-bat with the Mets before he threw a pitch, <laughs> which is just crazy. That's, that's pretty good. So back to me now. I think I'm going to dip my toes into the reliever waters for the first time because there are some such funny relievers that the Mets have had over just even our lifetimes. I couldn't even imagine what this was like in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But there's one guy I think about when I think of um, – just simple catastrophes. Guys who had all the opportunities in the world and just pissed it away not once, not twice, not three times, but this guy actually pissed it away four separate times. And I say piss literally because I'm talking about Henry Mejia. That's a good one. The steroid king of, of the world. This No one likes steroids or performance-enhancing substances more than Henry Mejia. Throw 100? Don't care. I want to throw 103. I want to do everything possible to be better, stronger, faster, leaner. And that was Henry Mejia. We'll quit, we'll quit at no cost. To become more more powerful. Man's kicked out of baseball. Not allowed to play. No. I think one of the only people ever. <laughs> yeah. Addicted to steroids. It's a good pick, Henry Mejia. And he was he was really good, too, at points as well with the Mets. Fantastic. But cheating, you know. That's bad. Yeah, it happens. Now, my next pick, should I, not, should I stick in the bullpen? Should I go back to the rotation? I need one, one more outfielder. I need my utility man. I still need a second baseman, but I don't even have any good options there. Actually, I have a good option. I'm going to save my second baseman for the end. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take my second baseman right now. I'm ready to take the second baseman. There's a guy who... Uh, I've talked about a lot over the last couple of months. There's a guy who's going to be a central cog in the Mets' deep playoff run of 2021. The guy who just faked an injury in the Dominican League so we can open up a restaurant in uh, uptown Manhattan. This man, Mr. Don't You Know, Robinson Cano, one of the greatest hitting second basements of all time, but actual would have been a potential Hall of Famer if he also didn't cheat. This is my steroid round. This is my steroid yeah. round. God, this guy, what a disaster his acquisition has been for the last three years. Absolute disaster. The amount of money we're on the hook for for this guy is crazy. And what's even more insane is that we gave up Jared Kalanick for it. I mean, we yep. he, he could be a pick Jared Kalanick on this team of all-time Mets because only the Mets would trade him. He didn't play one game with the Mets. Can't That's be true, I know. But he's generational talent. Trade him away for a closer and an aging $25 million a year second baseman. But you got rid of Jay Bruce's contract and Anthony Swarzak. You can't forget that. Those are two guys on my list, but whatever. Yeah, Swar- oh, Anthony Swarzak apparently is aware of my existence and does not care for me. That would make a ton of sense. Yeah, I'm one of the biggest Anthony Swarzak slanderers out there. It's not slander, it's truth. Has, 
has Mrs. Zamora ever gotten into your mentions? I, I actually liked Daniel Zamora, so there's no slander coming out of my mouth about him. But right, yeah, well, I mean, now Mrs. Zamora would, 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 would let you have it if there was. Yeah, of course. She's she backs her man. You got to respect that. I'll respect the hell out of it. My turn now, right? Oh yeah. All right, so I'm gonna also tap into the reliever bullpen market as well, and I'm gonna go get my closer. And this guy, another another guy, I loathe. I loathe a lot of Mets pitchers. I've started. I'm starting to really, you know, figure out here. But boy, does this guy stink! And he he didn't actually stink, but he did stink. And that's Armando Benitez. Um, Oof, yeah. Armando Benitez is one of again my least favorite Mets players ever. I mean, you just go back through time and you can remember all the ups and downs he had. He had a great first year with the Mets, a one eight five ERA. He was lights out, and he was never the same. And uh, even it came back in 2003, which was weird. Hate Armando Benitez, one of my least favorite players of all time. The dude was a professional at blowing saves. He stunk. How many saves did he blow on that, Mark? Armando Benitez? Yeah. Uh, too many to count. But Armando Benitez is going to be my closer. And then I'm also going to go uh, back to the reliever side here. And this one's a little interesting because mm-hmm. he really just only had a, a very, very, very tiny blip with the New York Mets. But it is a very significant moment that happened. He lost the Mets a game, and only a way a Mets pitcher could do it. And that would be none other than the balk-off man himself, Luis Ayala. Which, if you guys remember against the Atlanta Braves, I believe it was bases loaded. At the time, time he might have been the closer or a setup man, whatever he was. But he balked in the winning run. Something that you, you don't see ever, ever happen. And the Mets and Luis Ayala... They figured out a way to do it. So for me, Luis Ayala is going to be uh, it's going to be one of my top bullpen arms along with Armando. Yeah, you guys, you need both those guys back there together. That was a good round, good solid round out of you. Let's see, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? My infield is set. I have every the whole diamonds figured out. There's only one more outfielder, two more starters, and two more relievers. So you might as well might as well stick with the bullpen. We're already doing it right now. You're going to talk about guys who failed with the Mets, who really blew games for the Mets. What about the biggest game that we ever saw the Mets ever blow? Mr. Notre Dame fighting Irish himself, former first-round pick, Aaron Heilman, the bane of my existence. I hated this guy more than was healthily possible as a child. And it it was like, it was such a pure disdain for every single time this guy came into the game. It wasn't even the belief that he could one day be good. It wasn't even for those, like, that one month, like May when we were in, like, 2005. We were like, oh, maybe Aaron Heilman could actually be a starter. He had a pretty good month. No. Fuck this guy. Blew the, blew the NLCS against Yadi Molina. Oh, my God, Aaron Heilman. Even saying his name right now makes me angry. I'm getting, I'm sweating. Yeah, Aaron Heilman is also one of my least favorite players of all time. Again, another player I loathe. So funny, when I went to the draft combine this year, who do I see but Aaron Heilman is right there walking around talking to everybody. I don't even know what I would do. If you guys even know us watching on YouTube, like I've had to take my sweatshirt off since we started this segment because I'm getting angry. I'm getting hot. <laughs> Aaron Heilman, I... I screamed in many of pillows because he was pitching. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Wait, what was what was the craziest thing you ever did, like physically with the Mets as a kid? Um, when they lost the game to the Cardinals in 2006, that's really the first time I remember like freaking out, and that was a stretch of then three back to back years of just yeah, yeah messed up kind of childhood stuff. But I believe we had an ottoman, and I, I think I I flinged it. I think I flinged the ottoman. It was a small one, not a big one. It was a foot ottoman, but. I was I was not happy with it. I pushed it towards the TV, and my dad was like, "Whoa, calm down! Like, it's okay. Like, what's happening?" 2007, the um the last game of the year to the Marlins, when Cliff Floyd came up as the go ahead run, the ninth inning with two outs, and put the ball to the warning track that we all thought was probably going to go out. I took like a little like child sized rocking chair that I had since I was like an infant, and I picked it up over my head and I slammed it on the ground. <laughs> I was like, "What are you doing?" 
<laughs> I've done one slam in my life, and it's when the Knicks lost to the Celtics and Jared Jeffries was playing. I hate that guy. <laughs> um, I also took my iPod Touch that was in like a nice case. And Luis Castillo dropped the ball. I just turned around and I whipped it against my wall. It's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> that, my dad didn't even say anything. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Do you have another pick? Yeah, wait. Oh, yeah, that was one pick? Yeah, it was one pick. All right. Uh, I'm going to go back to, you know what? I almost have so many outfielders here that I don't even I don't even want to do someone a disservice. I almost want you to pick another outfielder so I can pick someone like more fairly. I've got all three. You three leave three left. Yeah, no, I got all three outfielders done. Oh, you do. All right, I got uh, ben yeah, Millage and Bonilla. That's elite. All right, I'm gonna save it for next round then because I just don't know. But I'm gonna get back in the starting rotation here because there's just these Mets guys who we grew up with who did so many things that we don't care about at all. This guy was a sinker baller. Looking back, he was a flash in the pan, but really felt like he could have been something. None other than Mike Goddamn Pelfrey. Yeah. Six foot seven, 250 pounds, late draft pick. Scott Boris client, somehow, some way. Who knows how the fuck that happened? But God, I really thought Mike Pelfrey had a shot to be something. He was really good at times. And then Rick Peterson got in his head and <laughs> the licking of the hand. It was just unbelievable. He had one season, 2008. When he had three seven two ERA over two hundred innings, and that like that's pretty good three nine six FIP. Like this guy was something who could at least be like a filler in a rotation for a while. And then actually two thousand ten, he also I think this was the year he had his dominant stretch. Remember he had like those two months where he was like basically unhittable. Like yeah. he could do he could do no wrong three six ERA over two hundred four innings. Like that's a decent pitcher fifteen and nine record. But man, was this guy just overall another one of those massive Mets pitching disappointments before the the golden age of the Harvey uh, Degrom times. Yeah, no, that was that was a good one. So I'm gonna go back to the starting rotation for this next guy. Another dude who's near and dear to my heart. I actually have a jersey of him because I lost a bet. Um, <laughs> and maybe maybe he's not the most Mets guy, but to me he is. He's just another one of these guys that I couldn't believe was a part of this franchise. Not once, but twice. And that's gonna be Jason Vargas. Um, Jason Vargas is. I mean, between wanting to fight Tim Healy, which I think is still one of the coolest things that's ever happened, that Jason Vargas has ever done. The slick back hair, looking like a bully. I mean, he was tough for a day. It would take it how you want to be. But boy, did he stink. He was not a good pitcher by any means. He was so boring to watch. I remember I went to a game in Atlanta, drove to Atlanta from South Carolina, nice four-hour drive, got great seats. Shout out to the Braves. They hooked me up better than the Mets ever have. But the Braves gave me great seats, and Jason Vargas couldn't even get out of the first inning. I was the only Met fan sitting in the area, gave him a standing O. Jason, that a boy! Way to go! Give him one of those! He heard me loud and clear. That guy stinks, but at least he did one good thing for the Mets, and that was he got traded to the Phillies, and he stunk, and he tanked their season and made the Phillies a fourth-place team again for me. So that was huge. Jason Vargas is going to be my fourth starting pitcher in my rotation. Jason Vargas shockingly had like some okay times with the Mets. Like I know he's like more of a meme than anything else, but in 2019, before the Mets traded him, he had like an ERA at four. Which yeah. I mean, for Jason Vargas, that's like legendary status. Yeah, yeah, no, he was he wasn't like actually the worst pitcher the Mets have ever seen. There's some guys on this list that are way worse, but he was just he was one of the banes of my existence. Um, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little old school here. Because I talked about trading Nolan Ryan for Jim Fergozzi, right? Well, let's talk about some of the guys that we traded for Tom Seaver. And one of those actually played pretty decent for the Mets, but he just isn't Tom Seaver. It's going to be Pat Zachary. Um, This is the guy who they got from the Reds. Supposed to be this young, you know, up-and-coming pitcher. And he was fine, but you traded one of the best pitchers of all time. A guy who, another guy, like, just wanted to be a Met so badly. Loved being a part of this just shit show of an organization for Pat Zachary, who never lived up to Tom Seaver hype. I feel like when you talk about, you know, the Mets history, 
this is always a turning point is when the Mets traded Tom Seaver and who did they get? Pat Zachary. You got to throw him in here. That was a good pick. All right. I like that one. So now I've been buying enough time here. I've been waiting to pick an outfielder. And I'm going to take this in a very different direction than my outfield. Because my outfield's a little bit young, a little bit raw. I want this outfield to have a little bit of experience in it. And the Mets do something so well where they will take guys who have been all-time great players, similar to Robinson Cano, my second baseman, and bring them onto their team for such a brief instance. The Mets have had Eddie Murray on their team for a single season. The Mets have had Bobby Abreu on their team for a single season. The Mets had a couple great years out of Moises Alou. But this player, one of arguably the best outfielders of all time, the Mets somehow signed for just no good reason whatsoever. And I think it was the late 90s. And that is Ricky Henderson. Oh, wow. I thought you were going somewhere else. Where'd you think I was going? I thought you were going Willie Mays. No, I wasn't going to do Willie Mays. Okay. I was thinking about that. I mean, at least Willie Mays was a New York thing. Giants, Mets, like that was something yeah. similar. And he at least went to the World Series with the Mets. He wasn't was he a big part? No, but I'm sure having Willie Mays around helped a lot of uh helped morale. I'd love to hang out with Willie Mays yeah, personally. Of course. But no. Ricky Henderson was a Met for a single season. That dude, I I talked about Lasting's Millage being a star now, and I know Ricky was a star then. Ricky Henderson would be the most popular baseball player, hands down, not even close if he was playing nowadays. Oh, yeah, Ricky Henderson would like he would have millions of followers on uh on Instagram. King of swag. He'd be the shit. Like the when he hit the home run, the little the little shoulder thing. I mean, he was he was literally dripping in swag. <laughs> yeah, Rick Henderson played uh, the 1999 season with the Mets and part of the 2000 season, so he didn't actually get a chance to run the World Series. He ended up moving him on to Seattle midway through that season. But in his one year with the Mets, he actually hit 315, 423 on base, 12 homers. He stole uh, in classic Ricky Henderson fashion, 37 bases which I guess is probably still one of the high marks in Mets franchise history because Mets are a team who historically did not steal many bases. But one year, one year wonder, Ricky Henderson at 40 years old, almost stole 40 bases with the Mets. Very, very Mets signing. Yes. Now, Ricky Henderson, all-time great. And I, I'm happy that I got to see him play with the Mets a tiny bit. Yeah, 1999, you were three. I'm sure you remember I was that watching vividly. baseball. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, you're very, very, very aware and active baseball watcher at three years old. Of course. I would have told you that. My pick now? Uh, I have one more. I have one more. I think I'm going to round out this bullpen. I'm not even going to say the name for everyone watching on YouTube or for Mark. I'm just going to do a gesture, and you're going to know exactly who it is. Hansel Robles, yeah. Mets legend, the king of the point to the sky, the king of the fly ball, the king of the home run, the king of the blown save, who's actually become a somewhat competent reliever. He always kind of was with the Mets, but it was almost so memeable they had to let him go. He had a decent year with the Angels. He had a decent time with the Twins. He wasn't good with the Red Sox this year, but he was a necessary evil for them. But Hansel Robles rounding out my bullpen. Do I have a bullpen here of Hansel Robles, Henry Mejia, and Aaron Heilman? That is, that's a lot of runs that are going to be scored right there, let me tell you. Uh-huh. Okay, Rod, closing it out. I'm actually going to go the reliever route as well. This guy was actually lights out with the Mets when he got there. In 2006, huge part of that team was incredible. And then missed the 2007 season because early morning in July 30th of 2006. Legend. He was hurt in a taxi cab accident in Miami, Legend. Florida. A never drunk driver it. hit him, separated his shoulder, and Dwanar Sanchez was never the same again. I mean, he pitched a little bit more with the Mets, but it was really to no success whatsoever, and then he fizzled out in 2009, just a few years after the accident. This guy was, I mean, one of the best setup men in the league. In 2006, he was disgusting, but he was never the same after an accident because, of course, the Mets' key setup man gets hurt in a car accident in Miami and separates his shoulder. How does that happen? How does that even the Mets were unbelievable. Literally only the Mets. Good pick. That was a good pick. You need Dwyer Sanchez on here. Dwyer, you can't you can't tell the story of each of our youths without Dwyer Sanchez being involved. No, he's he's a, he's a huge part of it. Huge part of the the youth. And then I'm gonna go a little bit of a different route here, and I'm gonna close out my relievers with a guy that is, I believe, more of a meme more so than anything. 
And that's going to be our good friend Dae Sung Koo. I don't know if you remember the name. I remember Korean reliever. Uh, looked, list. looked really solid at times. He actually played well with the Mets, but if you remember, he hit a triple with the Mets, which was just crazy. That one, they let a reliever hit, and two, that he hit a triple. And it was off Randy Johnson? Yeah, off of Randy Johnson. And then he also, I believe, scored on like a crazy play to come home, sliding in head first. And I think, didn't he have the ball in his pocket or something as well? Was, or I think ball? it was the jacket under yeah. the pitcher's jacket. Yeah, he had a ball in it or something like that. And he ended up like causing some like slight aggravation to an injury. Daesung Koo is just a guy that I will always remember for being, you know, this Korean relief pitcher that hit a triple and did some crazy stuff on the field. Nothing else. To me, that's just someone that has to go on this. I would feel bad if I didn't, which closes out my bullpen as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Are you, that was both your picks, right? Yeah, it was both my picks. All right, so here's my last two picks coming up here. And I'm going to give my shout to uh, my dad right now, give him his legacy pick. When I sent this to my dad, he also texted me back in less than two seconds. I said, Mark and I are going to do a draft of obscure Mets. Who's someone funny back in the day? My dad just sent me a name who I had never heard of in my life. This name is Nino Espinosa. Who? I don't even know. This guy just eight innings, eight innings for the, the awful, 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 awful 1970s Mets. Those, again, after the Mets made that World Series in 1973, until they started getting hot in the early 80s, they were absolutely, bar none, the worst franchise in baseball. It wasn't even close. And Nino Espinosa managed for two straight years, or 200 innings in 1977 and 1978. 1978 gave up the most earned runs in baseball at 107, which is still kind of low, kind of good for Nino. You got, don't hate that, but the 473 ERA. In 1978, it's shocking you even have a job. Actually, <laughs> the shocking part would be not having two jobs at that point. Yeah, that's that's a bigger thing. I'm sure, Nino did something. Also, this is a great name, Nino Espinosa. Tragically passed away at 34 years old. I'm not sure how. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's sad stuff to hear. Heart attack on Christmas Eve. Nino, oh, no, Nino, no. Oh, that's terrible. That's I hate awful. that. Don't want to hear wow. that. Heart attack at 34. I wonder what his 20s were like. Probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> but this is my last pick of the draft here. Nino Espinosa, great addition of the squad, running up the back. Eat some innings, baby. Good but one. This is my utility man. There were three choices I gave for utility men right here. Three, I really want to have all three of these guys in the team. One of them is a guy I loathe who's on television. One is a guy who's pretty funny on Twitter, Jewish, but neither of them are my picks. I'm going with the electric factory that is, was, and will forever be Jordani Valdespin. <gasps> I had him listed down, yes. <laughs> the man who's never had the position, he never will. Still, I think he's out there hanging out in the Mexican League or something, hitting taters, pimping them, and getting in fights. But what a couple months the Mets had in those early 2010s teams when nothing was fun, nothing was cool. We had Jordani Valdespin once in a while just do something insane, like overrun a ground ball or not run out of ground ball or, <laughs> or miss third base or some crazy shit like that. that or was be him. seen during the season wearing a Miami Marlins hat because he was yeah. just rocking a Marlins hat. <laughs> I mean, swag is swag. Swag is swag. You can't hate the game. Uh, he was – I love Jordani Valdespin. Great name too. Valdespin, mm-hmm. Jordani, that's, that's, a, that's someone who's born to be a star. My honorable mentions are filled with names. Or do you have one more pick? I have one more pick. It's my catcher spot, and I am just, I am so torn on where I'm going here. I mean, the name that I always think of, and th- maybe some Mets fans will relate, but I was originally going to go Jason Phillips, which, mm. if you guys remember, he was supposed to be the next catcher to take over for Piazza, but after further review, Respects. yeah, he was, he was more of really a first baseman, and he left before Piazza gone. The guy I'm going to end up going with is the dude who played in Piazza's last game came in for Piazza early because Piazza still had one more at-bat left and Willie Randolph pulled him. This is a little bit of an obscure pick here, but it's going to be Mike DeFelice. He was on my first one on the list. Nice. He was my pick. Okay, all right, good. That doesn't make me feel as bad because I'll never forget, I'll never forgive Willie Randolph for this. 
pulling Piazza with one at-bat left in his last game. I was there. I wasn't missing it for the world. He's my favorite player of all time. You are in Shea Stadium? Yep. Number 31. Played catcher because of him. He's my guy. And he brings in Mike DeFelice. Piazza had one more good standing ovation left. And I have to watch 38-year-old Mike DeFelice catch, which is just criminal in all aspects of the of the word. He's my catcher. Um, that's really all I have about him. I, I don't know if he played another game with the Mets besides that. Couldn't tell you. Not interested. I remember him. I remember him hanging around for a while. Truth, truly. He was only relevant for this one thing in my head, and that is one of the crowning moments, or I shouldn't say crowning moments. One of the moments that is implanted in my head is watching Mike DeFelice catch while Mike Piazza still had the chance to be a New York Met. That's disgusting. Imagine how fucked up your head is if that's implanted in it. Implanted. I'm, imagine, what, imagine what you could put there instead. Mike DeFelice lives rent-free in my head. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, let's start going through some of the names that we don't have. So, one, just go position by position? Yeah. Okay, so at catcher, um, the names that I have, we'll switch off position who gets to go first. How about that? Okay. I've got Jason Phillips. i got Pat Mazika because he's a folk legend. I, I put Mazika on there, too. I almost took him instead of Grody. Yeah. Uh, Omir Santos? That's my my exact list. DeFelice, Mazika, Santos. Mackie Sasser, which is a guy that all the old people, I believe, will throw out there. Catcher was a position I found the most trouble with, truly. Me too. That's why I went Mike DeFelice, because... John Buck, too. Oh, yeah, Rob John Rahas. Buck and Rob Rahas, yeah. Who can forget the mid-2000s, or late-2000s? No. First baseman that had the more of, like, a talented list, but also some funny guys. All the Rude, who people just forget, was one of the best so players good. in the league when he was a Met. One so of the most good. underrated guys in history. Dave McGavin, who was just hysterically, like, okay for, like, a very long time in the 80s with the Mets. He had hit, like, 330 one time. <laughs> Mike Jacobs, legend. Of course. Doug Mankiewicz. Doug Got a cup of coffee wow. with the Mets. Forgot about what a him. legend there. Yeah. Julio Franco. Yep. Can't forget the 48-year-old first baseman. You could do second base and shortstop because I have not that many guys. Oh, I had a couple more names for first base, too. I had Jorge Toca, who was a hot Cuban prospect that the Mets had, and I believe he got 40 at-bats with them, never did anything. And then Mike Marshall, who was a guy that they made a move for, and his career basically ended as soon as he got to the Mets. He was never great, but his career was over. Second base, the names that didn't get mentioned for me, Carlos Bayerga, um, of course, had some great time with the Indians. Then another guy who had some great times with the Indians, Roberto Alomar, who stunk with the Mets. Guardians. Oh, Guardians, yeah. Well, they were the Indians at the yeah, time. Red, retroactive, retro- yeah, retroactive. Retroactive, I'll give it to you. For second base, I also had Brian Dozier, who played like oh eight God. games with the Mets, yeah, which yeah. is crazy out of nowhere in the COVID year. Anderson Hernandez. I had him possibly on there. With a glove that guy had. Jeff Keppinger. Jeff Keppinger, wow. Who wound up hanging around the league for a while with the Astros. Joe McEwing, another guy too. We love Joe McEwing. Yeah, Joe McEwing, Chris Woodworth, of course. Yep. Third base, I believe this is going to be where you take over. Yeah, third base, I had Justin Turner, of yep. course. I'm happy neither of us took him, though, because it's a fucked up. Ty Wigington, yep. the person who kept the seat warm for David Wright. I had David Wright on my list. I thought about it because it was like only the Mets would get a, again, a generational-type third baseman who who was on a Hall of, Fame, Hall of Fame path, no doubt, could have been one of the best third basemen of all time, and he gets spinal stenosis, which is just such a like rare injury, disease, whatever it is, and he's basically crippled and can't even finish his career. Like It's unbelievable. That's terrible to hear. I only have one other shortstop. I'm going to say him right quick. Omar Quintanilla. Because I yeah. knew I was taking Cavs early. Yeah, he was Omar, my only other shortstop. Omar Quintanilla's name. Mike Bordick was the one. And then I also think of Ruben Gotai, who had like six games. That's wow. Oh, my God. He was I a part of, I believe, uh, the big comeback against the Cubs when the Mets were down like 5 nothing in the ninth inning in the mid-2000s at City Field. So I have like 100 outfielders. I just want to say some of these names really quickly because it's hysterical. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know my guy, Ryan Cordell. Um, I almost course. did it just, just, just for that. Joe Neshwi, never played. Probably never played another game in Major League Baseball for wow with the week we had. John Mayberry Jr., Aaron Altair, Jeff Francoeur, Nori Aoki had 100 games with the Mets one season somehow. Bernard Gilkey, one of the biggest disappointing Mets ever, but still one of the best seasons in the Mets history in 1996. (laughs) I said before, Eddie Murray was on the Mets for a season. Roger Cedeno, Michael (sighs) Kadire, Abreu, Sheffield, Cliff Floyd, Rick Ankeel, Trot Nixon got on the Mets roster, Xavier Navy, 
Remember Eric Valent? Oh, is he's a good one, Eric Valent. I got uh, George Foster, who was a perennial yeah. MVP with the Reds, came to the Mets and stunk. Uh, Kirk Neuenheis, how can we forget the big home runs that he hit for the Mets down the stretch? Mike Baxter. Mike Baxter, one of the most iconic catches in Mets, hist- Mets history. Another iconic catch, Andy Chavez, of course. Of course, I had him on here too. Jeremy Burnitz. Yep. Timo Perez, uh, more so known for really choking in the World Series than anything. Lenny Dykstra. A good one. Benny Agbayani. Loved Legend. Benny Agbayani. Great rookie year. What a rookie year he had. I also had Yohannes Cespedes listed there because, yeah. I mean, the boar. Yeah, the boar. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an unbelievable one. Ryan Church made him fly a cross-country flight with the concussion, and he never <laughs> played baseball again, really. <laughs> <laughs> so feels so bad for him. He was really good, and the Mets just killed his career. Um, we got Sinjo, or Shinjo, Suyoshi Sinjo, who was yeah. right after Ichiro came in, the Mets were like, let's get ours, and he was terrible. And then Vince Coleman, who stole 100 bags a year with the Cardinals in the 80s or 70s, whatever it was, and then came to the Mets and was like, I just like, I don't really, I'm not very good anymore. How about that? Like, <laughs> those were my outfielders. On to pitching? Yeah, starting pitchers. I've got, I've got five. So let me list my five because I know you're going to go deep with these. Well, I'm, I'm, much de- I'm much deeper in the bullpen. I only have like seven or eight pitchers okay. left. The five starting pitchers that I didn't have get picked were Chris Benson because wasn't his wife like oh, smoking hot Benson. or something like that? Yeah, I think WWE girl. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Mike Hampton because he basically said fuck New York. Uh, he hated yeah. being in there and he was a Met. Paul Wilson, part of Generation K. Bill Pulsifer, part of Generation K. Ale Solaire. I don't know if you remember that name, but he had a yeah, little brief stint with the Mets. And then Daisuke Matsuzaka. Oh, I had Dice K. I almost took Dice K as my fifth guy. Yeah, he was he was debating for me, but I went Pat Zachary instead. I had John Neese and Dylan G. Just the innings eaters when the Mets prospects were coming up who were a ton of fun. Jeremy Hafner, my boy, got the jersey right over here. Legend. John Main. Yo, John Main. Who just classic. Cl- clutched up one day, a Saturday afternoon in 2007, figured it out for a day. Like two Cubans, Levon Hernandez and El Duque. Yep. El Duque actually was a big part of the Mets' successful season in 2007. Levon just eight innings in 2009. Philip Humbert threw a perfect game. After the Mets trade him for Johan Santana, which is just crazy. Damn, my confirmation. And uh, Craig Swan, who was my, one of my dad's legacy picks. ERA title, 1978. Okay. Craig Swan. Relievers. I'm just going to say some relievers' names right now. I'm going to watch your face when I say them. Delon Batantis, Paul Sewald, Wilmer Font, Brooks Pounders, Antonio Bastardo, AJ Ramos, Anthony Swarzak, Rafael Montero, Vic Black, Bobby Parnell, Colin McHugh, Latroy Hawkins, 280 ERA for the Mets in 2012. Pedro Beato. Yep. How about this one? Get ready for this one. Hisanori Takahashi. I remember him. As a rookie with the Mets, he threw 120 innings. He won 10 games. ERA was 3-6. Unbelievable. Didn't even get a vote for Rookie of the Year for some freaking reason. Today, that guy'd win Rookie of the Year. Is that all your bullpen names? Because I got more for you. Oh, I got like four more here. Okay. Darren Oliver. Bartolome Fortunato. Yes, that's a great name. Guillermo Moda. Royce Ring. Heath Bell. Braden Looper. Braden Looper was on my list. I hated him, too. Hey, then, last one, J.J. Putz. Yep. As my uncle said, what a putz. Yeah, I had J.J. Putz on there. I had Looper. Can't forget John Roush. Can't forget oh. him. The six foot ten man who threw 90. Uh, oh you've got Frank Francisco, who also came in that offseason. And was he the one who was talking? He was throwing at batters, and Ron Darling's like, you guys are losing by eight, and you suck. You can't do that. Like, Something you're like putting that. everybody else in danger. You said Antonio Bastardo. Jose Valverde was a Met for, like, yeah. a week, which was interesting. He got a couple saves. And then one of my favorite names of all time, Amburix Burgos. Love it. Oh, I had him on there too because the name. Yes. And then, wait, there's one more guy. I, I'm really forgetting his name, but I have to look it up because did, I, there was like the Mets camp that they used to do when you were kids where you'd play baseball at a Mets camp. And mm. uh, at the end of it, you'd get to go to a game once a year and get out, go on the field with everybody from the camp. And there was one relief pitcher that said hi to me. And I forgot his name, so I'm doing him a disservice right now. But it was like... 
He was la- of Latin descent. I'm going to look it up real quick. Dude, I did that too. My guy was Eric Valent. Oh, Hung okay. out with me for like 10 minutes. Nice guy. Got a picture with him. Juan Padilla. That's who it was. Juan, Juan Padilla. Padilla. He had the glasses too, Juan I believe. Padilla. But shout out to yes, Juan Padilla. Shout out Juan Padilla. Wow. Our longest episode ever. What'd you think? It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I mean, I think it's going to edit down a little bit, a little shorter, but that was fun. Also, I just, Juan Padilla had a 149 ERA in 2005, but that was a long one, but that was probably one of the more fun episodes we've done. We're trying to do more fun things because there's literally nothing going on, so we got to make things to talk about here. Um, Maybe we'll do an all-time draft if you guys want to see it. Just let us know. YouTube comments, tweet at us, whatever it is. Let us know what kind of content you want to see coming forward. Otherwise, that's pretty much it for episode number 66 of the Mets Up podcast. Let us know. We're going to tweet it out. Whose lineup is more Mets? Me or James? You can give us your input there. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Mets Up. YouTube channel, Mets Up podcast for the video version of this. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, you'll be able to find us. Drop us a five-star rating and a review. And that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, guys. Follow me on Twitter at GiraffeNickMark, James at Range, And we'll see you next episode. Peace out. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies. Bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life. Because the Mets are really sucking the ball. Knocking those home runs over the wall.
Behind the plate, Hobie will bat eight. Pitching and batting ninth, veteran right-hander Roger Craig. For the St. Louis Cardinals, and they feel they have a team that will be a strong contender for the National League Senate. Kurt Flood will be in center field leading off. Julian Javier at second base, batting second. Bill White will be at first base, batting third. In right field, batting cleanup, Stan the Man Musial. Ken Boyer will be at third base, hitting third. Many Minoso in left field, batting sixth. Gene Oliver catching, batting seventh. Julio Gotai, D-O-T-A-Y. Gotai will be at short, batting eighth. Pitching and batting ninth, Larry Jackson. Well, we are about to be witnesses to history in the making right here in St. Louis as the New York Mets become a reality. And the National League now is back in New York after an absence of four years. 